Welcome to the Revo Podcast. Revo Church is one church in two locations with a vision to spark a revolution of life change through Jesus. We hope to accomplish this through our core values of love big, serve hard, live bold, grow deep, and move forward. For more information about our service times and locations, please visit our website at discoverrevo.com. Hey, what's up, sinners? My name's Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here. If it's been a while since you've been called that, welcome to Revo. Um, So glad you guys are here with us. I know you could have been a lot of different places this morning, so it's really an honor for us to have you here uh, worshiping with us. I got a big question for you. Big question that uh, I think most people ask themselves. I've asked myself this question. People have been asking themselves this question for thousands of years. It's nothing new, but it's a Crucial, crucial question to understand and to know. How do you determine a person's worth? So we live in a country where the vast majority of Americans admit to struggling with self-confidence. They struggle with a lack of self-esteem and having a low sense of self-worth. So how do you determine what a person's worth? Like what, what, what rubric is it? What value do they bring? Now this can come from, like everybody has an answer to that question. That can come from a variety of different places. Maybe you grew up uh, with parents that made you feel worthless. Parents that no matter how hard you tried or no matter what you did, they could always find the flaw. They could always find the area that you could grow and be better. And they were never willing to acknowledge any kind of these strengths or accomplishments that you had. And if you look back on that, that has affected your sense of value and your sense of self-worth. Maybe you first encountered it when you were in school and the first time you tried out for a sports team. And uh, you had a coach that you, you tried out for the team and you did all the exercises and a coach told you that you are not tall enough, you are not fast enough, you are not strong enough, you're not flexible enough, uh, you are not agile and athletic enough, you cannot jump tall enough, you are not good enough to make it on this team. And that affected how you viewed yourself. Or maybe you made the team, but you sat the bench the whole year. And you saw people that were so-called better than you, more talented than you, faster, stronger, uh, better jumpers, more athletic than you are. And you saw them play and get all of the spotlight while you sat on the bench and you wore words like second string or backup or the guy that girl that never played. And that affected how you viewed your worth. Uh, Students run into this at at school. They can determine their own value based on their friends. Because friends will tell you stuff. They'll they'll tell you you're not cool enough, you don't dress trendy enough, you don't hang out with the right people, you don't say the right things, you're not in with the right crowd. And from a very early age, students can pick up that their self-worth somehow is can become attached to that and the, the way that they think of themselves and the self-esteem that they have. And, we, and look, we try to convince ourselves that it's just a phase, that eventually you will grow out of it, that, that kids in school, they're mean and they're hurtful and, and they're not considered at all. But, but, you know, once you get older, you'll get out of that mentality. You'll get out of that atmosphere and, and you will outgrow it. Do you? Will Will you? Because some of you have a low self-esteem and can't figure out the self-worth because you have a boss that constantly berates you. And no matter how hard you work, no matter how many mornings you show up early and how many nights you stay up late, no matter how many of your lunch breaks you work through, no matter how many projects you submit, it is never good enough for her. 
and you begin to realize that, honestly, nothing has ever been good enough for her. None of the other employees can seem to live up to her expectations as well, and that affects how we view ourselves. That affects how we feel about ourselves and our self-worth and our identity. For some of you, it's your ex, uh, your ex-girlfriend or your ex-spouse. You were never good enough for them. And the reason you're not with them today is because they told you you're not smart enough, you're not rich enough, you're not influential enough, you're not good-looking enough. There's something about you that is not good enough, and that has affected how you view yourself. And it even affects the relationships that you're in now, based on how people treated you in the past. But maybe you're not like that. Maybe you're some of the few that, that feel like you're doing well and you got your life on track, but you fall into the comparison trap. Because there's somebody at work that is a little bit further along than you. There's a, another mom that, that loves to post on Instagram about how great her family is. Or there, there's something else going on in your life and, and you fall into the comparison trap that no matter how hard you try or how great of a mom or dad or worker or, or co-worker that you try to be, you, you never measure up to those people. And uh, that comparison leads to discontentment and discontentment leads to discouragement and discouragement affects our identity and our self-worth and the value in which we see ourselves. Now, there are some really rare people uh, that uh, you, don't, you don't have a problem with that. Like, your life motto is treat yourself. And uh, you love you, and you spoil you, and you think you're the best thing around. And so I want to flip the question of worth to something that happened last week. Groups from both of our campuses took the week off and went to New Orleans to serve inner-city kids. Why'd they do that? Why in the world would anybody take five vacation days, their vacation days, to go serve people that they've never met before in a city that's not their own? Why would somebody pay money to go on a trip in order to help someone else? Whether it's New Orleans or Iraq, halfway around the world, Honduras, Belize, Cuba, we've gone on a lot of trips and people have always paid and always sacrificed and always taken off work. Those people that went to New Orleans, they're never going to see those kids again. There's nothing that those kids could have ever done for them. They're not going to get any benefit from it. So why were they worth it? Who cares about those people? They're never going to benefit you. You're never going to see any kind of results from that. Are those people worth it? Do we even really care about those people? I mean, I know we care about us and we care about our family, but what about like just neighbors? What about random people on the street holding up a sign? Do they have any value? Do they have any, any worth? See, we, we like to attribute worth to people based on a lot of different things. Our culture teaches us really early on. The, the, the first reason someone can be really valuable and can be worth is, can they do anything for us? Right? Now, if somebody can do something for us, oh, we want to be friends with them. We want to help them. We want to connect with them. We want to network with them. Like, there are entire meetings that happen in the city where a room full of entrepreneurs and young business people will meet. It's called networking. It's basically, i got to find someone that can do something for me, and I want to befriend them, and I want to sell my business to them. I want to sell my services to them. And they're extremely valuable because they may one day be able to help me. Maybe it's somebody that can give you something or do something for you. But what about the people that can't? Do they matter? Are they worth anything? Maybe you've asked the question, man, am I worth anything? Do I matter? 
Like in the grand scheme of things, thousands of years of history, billions of people on the face of the earth, at this moment, in this day, in this room, does God care about you? Come on, man. I know your mama told you you were special, but can I break it to you? You ain't special. There's nothing special about you. Does God care? Does anybody else care? Should I care? Am I valuable? Am I I worth anything? What is man? Who is man? Should we care about other people, even if they don't live in our city, even if they can't do anything for us, even if they're different than us? Should we care about people that aren't Americans, that aren't on the, the, the Bars and Stars team? Should we care about those people? What about people that don't have as much as we do? We're never going to see them. We don't even know who they are. If we don't go and, and hang out with them or, or go on a trip, Like we'll never even know it, they exist. Do those people matter? Do those people matter to you? Do they, do they matter to God? David actually wrote a song about this. It's in the book of Psalms, chapter 8. I'm telling you, it's a, it's a question that people are asking today. And thousands of years ago, David was asking, God, do I matter? Do people matter? Does any of this matter? Who cares about anyone or anything that's going on? And David asked that question, wrestles with it, and he wrote a song about it. It connected with him. Other people connected to it. Now, I want to I intro this. If, if, if you're interested, like, does God care about you? Does God care about anything or anyone going on in the world? Should you care about anyone or anything going on? David's going to help us answer the question in Psalm chapter 8. Here's how he starts it out. This is the, this is the psalm about whether or not you are worth anything. If you have any value as an individual, and what that value is attributed to. Here's how he starts. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. It's kind of a weird place to start. Like, I thought this was about us. <laughs> David, why are you talking about God? Why, why are you telling us a story about God if you're trying to, to tell us what we are worth or what humanity is, is worth, if there's any, any value in it? And secondly, why do, why do you repeat the same word both times? Why do you say, Lord, Oh Lord, is this like, is, is David mad? Kind of like when your mom would yell your full name when you got in trouble. Did your mom ever do that? Like if I knew if my mom said Nathan Cooper Klein, it was better to run and hide than to come and find her because something was wrong. Is this David saying, Lord, oh Lord, Lord God, Lord, holy God, like all of God's names? In some of your Bibles, the first Lord is all caps. Is he yelling that? Like if you text somebody in all caps, you're yelling at them. Is he saying, Lord, oh Lord? What's the deal with that? It's actually a translation in the English language. Uh, in, in English, it both translates into a name of God. But in the original text, this is actually two different names for God. David voices two different names. The first one is Yahweh, which is a very personal word for God. It's a, a, a personal, loving title. The second one is Adonai, which is a very powerful title. And so David starts out by saying, hey, I've I got to tell you who God is. God is powerful and God is loving. God is very personal and we can have a connection with God, but God is also great and there is nothing that he cannot do. There's might and there's mercy. He closes out the verse by saying, God, you are majestic. Majestic means power and beauty. So he's communicating something through this text. And and I'm wondering why If God wants to tell us about you and me and David, why would this chapter start with who God is and listing out the names of God? Well, I'll tell you, the names connect with his character. 
I mean, when you hear a name, you connect it with a character trait. You connect it with a memory, like names matter. It's connected to your reputation. I'll prove it to you. Does anybody in this room know anybody named Adolf? Why? Because in the 1940s, there was a guy named Adolf Hitler that did some terrible, horrible things that set a different course for the history of humanity, and, and no one wants Everybody's like, well, it's, it's a new name. It's 2019. It doesn't matter. No, that name has a connection. You don't meet too many Judas, right? Because they're like, oh, Judas, the guy that betrayed Jesus. Wow, like, stay away from that guy. Like, nobody is, nobody's naming their kid Judas. You did this. If you're a parent, this happened with me and my wife, we attribute characteristics and memories and thoughts with names, and your spouse, when you guys were pregnant, pitched a name to you that you immediately shot down. You want to know why? Because you used to know a person like that, and you didn't like them. I was like, when we were having a girl, I was like, Elizabeth, you like Pam? She's like, Pam? Oh, my goodness. I used to know a girl named Pam in high school. She was mean and ugly to everybody. No Pams. So I was like, okay, no Pams. <laughs> names matter. Names communicate something. And so David is really intentional here to say, I'm going to start with by giving you two things. Here's who God is. He is loving and he is powerful. He is beautiful and he has authority. He is kind and you can know him, but there is no limit to what he can do. And that's who God is. So, so why would he say that about God? What, how, how does that connect how does that connect to us? Verse 2, here's why. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. The single avenger, not the avengers, the, the avenger. Here's, here's how God works. God's always done this. It's uh, mind-boggling, but also pretty encouraging for me. God has always used the low and the weak and the meek to accomplish his plan. When God picks teams, he never picks the tallest people, the fastest people, the most talented people, the best speakers, the ones with the most influence. God, throughout the history of Scripture, has always taken the outcast, has always taken the reject, has always taken the one that society rejected and looked down and said, hey, watch this. <laughs> scripture says God takes the infants, the immature, the people that no one else has given any value and significance, and he says, I can take these people and accomplish my purpose and my plan. Uh, I used to work at the YMCA when I was in high school, and I uh, ran the summer camp with kids, and uh, so we had like free time where we would go out into the gym and play basketball, and uh, all of the boys would get to one side, and they would want to pick teams. And it happened every time the boys got picked first, and nobody wanted to pick the girls or the nerds, right? The, the small, runt kids that weren't very tall and weren't very athletic. They would always get picked. So I, I decided to mix it up. I started playing with them, and I said, all right, I want to pick first. I want all the girls and all the nerds. I didn't call them nerds because that would have been terrible. But I was like, I want all the girls and all of the short, skinny kids that can't jump. I want them on my team. And of course, the guys on the other team were like, oh yeah, that's great. Oh, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna kill you. Well, here, here's what they forgot. I'm like two and a half feet taller than them and uh, bigger than them and stronger than them. And I would take great pleasure in dominating them every time with the girls and the nerds. The girls and the nerds and Nathan won so many championships over that summer. It was ridiculous. And what it did was it made me look good. I'm bigger, I'm stronger, I'm more powerful. I'm, I can take the losers and I can still win the championship. 
You know that's what God does with you. He says, I can take the people that aren't talented, that aren't strong, that aren't tall, that aren't fast, that can't jump, and I am so powerful and so great and so mighty, but yet so loving that I can take the bad news bears and win a championship, that I can take what everyone else rejects. And see, God is beginning to building his case. You want to know what a person's worth is? You want to know what makes them valuable? You want to know how I know that you matter to God? He begins to build this, this case. That's God's point. God says, I'm, you don't have to be good. I'm good. I'm tall. I'm fast. I'm powerful. I'm love- I've, got, I've got all of this. So give me anyone. And God can change the course of history. I mean, think about who Jesus had. He had 12 disciples. Not exactly top-tier leaders. I mean, these are tax collectors and sinners and fishermen that, that didn't know anything, never went to school, they were never educated, they weren't great orators, and Jesus said, yeah, I'll take them. I'll take the rejects. And those 12 men went on to change the world when many other mighty leaders have fallen in that time. God has a history of doing this. So the big question now is raised by David. He says, this is who God is. This is what God does. And he's always done this through history. Here's the big question. Verse 3, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set into place. David is outside. He's looking into the stars and saying, man, how big is this? He's looking at the world around him. He's like, man, this is this is wild that so many stars and galaxies and solar systems and animals and people in the world. Verse 4, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you would even care for them. David says, man, look at the stars and nature is beautiful and everything around us. And, and then he kind of scratches his head and he's like, God, why do you care about me? Why do I matter? God, why do you care about humanity? Out of all the billions of people in the world, do you really think that God cares about you? I mean, think about what we've learned since David wrote this. Earth is a very small rock in the middle of a massive universe. It's just a great reminder this morning that you are not that unique. You are not that special. We're just one in billions of people. Sun, uh, the sun is 93 million miles away and is one million times larger than the earth. Kind of makes you feel small, doesn't it? And as of uh, last year, scientists have found more than 500 solar systems just in the Milky Way. 500 solar systems just like ours, just in the Milky Way galaxy. You're not that important. 300 billion stars just like our sun exist in the Milky Way. And outside of the Milky Way, the universe has 100 billion galaxies. Why does God care about you? In Winston-Salem, on Sunday, June the 30th, 2019, out of all of the people that have ever lived in history, out of all of the galaxies, David scratches his head and says, God, do you really care about people here? Do I matter? Do you even know that I'm here? And I find it interesting that David does not look at the expanse of the universe and, and, and try to build a case for his self-worth. He doesn't look and say, God, out of all of the stars, why do you love me? Oh, wait, that's right. I, I killed that giant that one time with that slingshot. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot. I'm kind of a big deal. 
oh, I'm the most successful king in the history of Israel. I forgot that's the reason. Yeah, of course, of course you know me. Of course you love me. Of course I matter to you. I mean, come on, I'm, I'm David. I'm King David. I've got so many accomplishments to my name. I, I, that's not what David says. David does not build the case that he matters to God based on his accomplishments or based on what he can contribute. Or he doesn't start to list off, well, I've got a great job and I've got great finances and I'm, I'm a leader and I'm an influencer and I matter and, and I'm kind of a big deal and I'm, I'm making an impact all around me. That's not what he says. Here's what David says in verse 5. You, God, humanity, you have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. It wasn't anything that humanity did. God, you crowned them with glory and honor. Our value, check this out, man. Our value is not based on our ability to produce or our contribution to society. Our value was given to us by God. David says, you, Lord, crowned humanity with honor and with value. Like, you, you got to know this, man. Parents, you got to be able to articulate this to your kid. Like, when your kid says, why do I matter? You, you can't look at him and say, well, you're mama's baby, or you're special to me, or you're great, and you're so talented and smart and beautiful. No, you got to be like, you matter because God gave you that. God determined your worth. God determined your value. He gave that to you, and no one can take that away from you. Because that's not what culture is preaching right now. See, culture is saying your worth and your value is based on your contribution. But God flips the scripts, and, and, and this is what God does. God takes common things and makes them uncommon by associating them with greatness. Did you check that? God takes common, regular, ordinary, unimpressive things and makes them impressive and uncommon and of great value and worth because of their association with greatness. I'll tell you a story. Uh, this week, uh, I got a new pair of shoes, Converse All-Stars. And, yeah, it's okay. Um, I bought these shoes this week. They're, uh, they didn't have a box. Uh, I couldn't read the size. They may be women's shoes for all I know, but they fit. <laughs> a little tight. But the reason I bought them was because they were $22. And you cannot pass up a deal for $22. Unfortunately, I've worn them now, and so they are worn shoes. If you want a pair of shoes like this, you can get them for $22. But if you want this pair, it's probably going to be significantly less now. I probably won't be able to get them for $22, um, which got me looking. Th these are obviously not the most expensive and the most valuable set of Converse All-Stars that have ever existed. I actually found them. Here's a picture of the most valuable Converse All-Stars in the history of Converse All-Stars. These shoes were worn by Michael Jordan in the 1984 Olympics where the U.S. beat Spain and got the gold medal. Uh, Michael Jordan is notorious for being connected with Nike, but this was before he signed with Nike. When Jordan played at UNC Chapel Hill, that's all he wore was Converse. He loved Converse. And so these shoes, you can like, these, are, these are signed by Jordan on the side. They got like game sweat on them, like if you're if you want some game sweat from Michael Jordan, they got game sweat on them. Last June, these shoes sold for almost $191,000. The most expensive pair of shoes that were ever sold. You want to know why? It's not because they're Converse All-Stars. It's because these common, ordinary shoes were made uncommon because they were associated with greatness. 
And do you understand that that's exactly what God did with you? He took something that is very plain and very common. And because you were crowned by God with great value and great worth, that makes you uncommonly valuable. Just our association with God. Scripture uses these words, you are made in the image of God. Because we are made in the image of God. When we look at the Ten Commandments, do you want to know why God says do not murder? Because man is made in the image of God. It's not that it's just wrong or you shouldn't do it or it makes people scared to sleep at night if murder was legal. No, like man and woman are made in the image of God. And so they have value, they have worth. That's why we don't murder. In James, uh, the book of James says we, we shouldn't curse men or women. Don't curse them. Don't curse at them. Why? Because they're made in the image of God. They have value. And if something has value to God, then you don't want to curse it. You don't want to hurt it. You don't want to belittle it. And so all of this, what is our value associated with? It's from God. It's given by God. It's not done by anything you do or how smart you are or, or how much money you have or how good looking you are or your set of accomplishments. Value and worth is given to you by God. But that's not the story that we live in today. I was reading an article recently that said uh, kids that were born with Down syndrome has decreased dramatically all over the world in the last 20 years. They got excited because I was like, well, maybe, we're, maybe we got a cure. You know what it is? We got new tests that we can run before the baby is born that can determine whether or not your unborn baby has Down syndrome or not. And Elizabeth and I were there. When both of our girls were born, the doctor came in at one of our visits and said, well, we have the ability now to run a test and we can tell you if your baby is going to be born with Down syndrome. And if the answer is yes, then you and your wife would have the opportunity and the option now to abort the baby. Would you like to run the test? And Elizabeth and I said, no. No, it doesn't matter how the baby is born. The value of the baby is not based on whether or not it can function as a, a normal functioning human being. The value of the baby is placed by God. And so I don't care if you run the test. Who cares what the test says? Like, this is a gift from God. The value of the life is given by God. It's the same thing in our society with older people. Do you want to know why we don't just kill older people when they retire? <laughs> is that something you've been thinking about? I mean, they don't contribute to society anymore. I mean, from our society standpoint, I mean, they don't work. They're not paying money into the system. Like, they're not working jobs. So, so, so why let them live? Many of them are on a, a system where the government is helping them with their health care. And so, logistically speaking, they're costing money. Why do you let them live? Because the value of a human isn't based on what they can contribute. The value of human is given by God. It doesn't matter if they can't work or they can't feed themselves or they can't stay at home by themselves. That's not what value is determined by. And David communicates that. He's like, do people matter? Do kids matter? Do older adults matter? Do people that aren't 100% healthy matter? Of course. You want to know why? Because it was crowned by God. It was given by God. The value is attributed by God. It's not based on how much you pay in taxes or how smart you are or if you're a doctor that can save the world or if you were born in a good country or halfway around the world or you know Jesus or you don't. That's not where the value is found. And David communicates that really clearly. And if you don't know what makes you so valuable, if you don't know why you have self-worth, I'm telling you, if you ask anybody else, they'll let you down. 
Your boss loves you as long as you execute on a high level. And as soon as you stop, you are worth nothing to them. Your girlfriend or boyfriend, as soon as you don't look good anymore or act right or have a lot of money or smell good, as soon as all that stuff starts sagging, they're out. Why? Because in their mind, their value may be just, oh, well, what can they do for me? Are they good to look at? Are they good to have walking beside me? Is this a good relationship? Do I have any benefits from this? God is the only place where you can look and have your value and worth communicated clearly that is based on nothing that you've ever done. There is no platform that you have to reach. There is no goal that you have to strive for to be valuable in the eyes of God because you are made in the image of God. And that gives you all the value and worth that you need. So what do we do with it? He answers the question, like, who's valuable to God? Everybody is. Young, old, American, non-American, halfway around the world. Not rich, poor, every, have a job, standing on the side of the road, holding a sign. It's all valuable to God. So here's what he says. Close it out with verse 6. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. All these people on earth that you made, that you love. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all the flocks and the herds, and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky, and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. God gives us all authority. God gives you the riches that you have, the relationships that you have, the influence that you have, the sway that you have, the power that you have. He makes it very clear that God gave it to you. All the animals of the air, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, man has dominion over all of that. And what's it for? So that people that know their worth can help other people find their worth in Christ. So that if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus and you know where your worth comes from, God says, now I'm going to give you everything you need, every dollar, every hour of the day, everything is at your disposal, and here's your mission, to help other people understand their worth in the eyes of God. And that's why people take five days of vacation to go to a city that they'll never go to again and meet kids that they never met, met before to tell them about Jesus so that they can understand their worth in the eyes of God. And that's why people fly to Iraq and down to Honduras and over to Belize and to Cuba. And that's why we go down the road and talk to our neighbors. That's why we do things with complete strangers in our city. That's why we're serving big and loving hard because we are, are people that understand our value that's found in God and we want to help other people find that as well. You know, the, the real value of something, the real worth of something is determined by what somebody else is willing to pay for it. I mean, that's what it comes down to. If you've ever sold a house or bought a house, you know this. When you sell a house, uh, you list the offer right there. You're like, hey, this is how much the house is worth. This is the, the selling price. And it's always high. Let's admit it. It's always high. Why? Because it's our house. This is the perfect house. Like, there's no house better than this. This is my house. You know how many hours of blood, sweat, and tears I've, I've used on this house to make it great. You know how many memories I've made in this house? How many birthdays we've celebrated? The ups and the downs that we've been through in this house? There's a lot of sentimental value in the house. And so you may list your house. You may think your house is worth a lot or your car is worth a lot or clothes that you have when you sell them. You'll put a, you'll put a price on them. But you, you want to know what really determines the value of something? It's not how much you think it's worth. It's how much somebody else is willing to pay for it. So if you list your house at, at $200,000 and the only offer you get is for $100,000, guess how much your house is worth? 100000 
Do you know what God paid for you? You know what God gave just so that he could have a relationship with you? God gave the thing that mattered the most, his son Jesus. You want to know how valuable you are to God? Just look at what he gave up to have a relationship. Just look at what he sacrificed in order for you to know him and to have your life changed. Scripture says that God gave his only son. He sent Jesus. You want to know how much God loves you? He sent his only son to die, to give his life up so that you could experience freedom, so that you could experience joy, so that you could experience life to the fullest. You want to know how much God loves you? Look at how much he paid. Look at what he gave up just to give you a gift of eternal life just to offer an, an, an opportunity for you this morning. And maybe that's news to you. Maybe you didn't know that that's how much God loved you. That in the history of humanity, the billions of people that are currently on the earth in, in this little room in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, on June 30th, 2019, that the God of the universe that created the stars in the heavens and the birds of the air and the fish of the sea and the plants and animals of the land loves you that much and cares about you that much and thinks you are so valuable and carries so much worth that he would give his only son just for you, just for the gift. Boy, you want to talk about something that's valuable, something that holds great worth. It starts with understanding who God is and what he's done, and finally what he was willing to pay just for an opportunity for you to experience him in a real and powerful way. And if you've never heard that before, today may be the day. Today may be the day where you say, man, if God thinks about me that much, I want to know him. And I want to experience life change through Jesus. Man, our crew would love to talk with you. You can pick up one of those next step cards that you had in your seat. There's a box on there that says, I want to make a decision for Jesus. I want to follow Jesus today. We'd love to tell you how much God really cares about you and what God thinks about when God thinks about you. It's incredible your value and worth in the eyes of the creator of the world.